So I flipped through the dial. I was looking through the dial last night and uh, on the local channels, and and a movie was on. And guess who was in it? It was those magnificent men and their flying machines. Oh, so it was Thingy. Oh, I say, oh boy. Yeah. I was like, oh, there you go. It's Terry Thomas. Oh. Did, you, did you think about that? Because Harry Mudd in this episode is drawn more to look like Terry Thomas <laughs> than Roger Carmel. Yes. Either that or <laughs> a chipmunk that ate way too much food. I don't know yeah. what this is. 2D. The Flat Frontier. These are the voyages of the Pancake Enterprise, its rotoscoped mission, to repeat the same animation and music, to transcend the limitations of 70s animation, to go boldly where no cartoon has gone before. Toon Trek, based upon Star Trek, created by Gene Roddenberry. Starring Paul Spataro. Also starring Dave Pascarella, with Bill Robinson and Andrew Leyland as Andy. Production assistants J. David Wheater. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Toon Track. Pull up a seat, sit down, enjoy the animated adventures of Captain James T. Kirk and his crew at the Starship Enterprise as they boldly go where none have gone before. We are going where everybody has been before. We are looking at episodes Nurse of Star Trek on a podcast. Oh, sorry. Yes, we are, we are going. <laughs> I think only Gene Rodby has been there. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Nobody had heard that before. No. Um, we are here to discuss in this particular episode, Mud's Passion, which will be very exciting. I'm sure. I am Andrew Leyland, and as ever on our tune track, I am joined by my colleagues of irresistible charm and nature, Dr. Bill Robinson. Hey, lady! You can see why the love crystals would make him irresistible to women, can't you? <laughs> I'm also joined by Paul Spataro. I say. Excellent. <laughs> and as well, we are joined by Dave Pascarella. Reporting for duty. <laughs> He's the duty. <laughs> ah yes but before we delve into mud's passion don't know that you want to delve into mud's passion but whatever floats your boat we must discuss the portion of the show that is always timely and up to date star trek news do we have any such news yes we do oh adam shankman who has directed wandavision for marvel television has just been announced as the director of the new Star Trek movie. Production is expected to begin in early 2022. I don't know if that means they have a script. I don't know if that means production will begin on a script. It was very ambiguous in his wording, but he that is apparently directing the new Star Trek film. That doesn't even mean it's going to actually happen. No, it does not. It just means he gets a nice big pay-or-play deal, which means he gets paid whether it happens or not. Which is good, I guess, if you're him. No word on whether this is going to feature the return of the Kelvins, not the ones from by any other name, um, or if it's going to be an entirely new story like Quentin Tarantino's Star Trek movie, which, let's be honest, is never going to happen. Wait, what's his name again? Shankman? Shankman. 
So, like if you're in prison and you got somebody, <laughs> oh, sh- you've hey, been shanked, man. So like if like his movie does really really good and you know compared to like one of his other movies, you could say it was a Shankman redemption. Indeed. <laughs> he has a poster of uh, Yeoman Rand on his wall, and he's digging his tunnel out. <laughs> and that, but that's that's it. I have no. I particularly would rather have a poster of Merez myself, but. Would you? <sighs> yes. Well, you are quite attractive for a human. Well, Major Barrett could purr like a cat and sit in my lap all day. <laughs> do we have anything else? Do we, do we have any other news that you may have heard of that I have not heard of? Mm, yeah. That'd be a no, then. Well, there's uh, there's two other people here. Maybe well, not. <laughs> the people who have not heard any news. People. <laughs> oh, look, by the time this gets released, we may actually know if the Shankman movie is actually happening because there seems to be quite the backlog. Yeah, we're getting nah, we're getting closer. Although, wait, so do do the math. What it'll be like at least. 20 some odd weeks before this would even you said see the light of day at least half a year before this sees the light of day so yeah, yeah but yeah possibly we, we could have all oh, no, yeah we would actually be in 2022 variant. when this comes out probably yeah. we could have all mutated under the new covid variant and we are now all mores cat like people in the delta quadrant no less yeah that would be all we're all trapped in the delta quadrant as cats oh god if i was a cat person you know i'd be a big fat cat but, um, <laughs> oh, I didn't. I didn't even think of that. <laughs> I'd just be big old laying around. Mouse cut come up, look at me, stick its tongue out, and keep walking by with the cheese. And I'm like, eh, yeah, I'll get you. I would have got you 20 years ago, you bastard. But now I'm past my prime. That's right. Speaking of past his prime, <laughs> Mud's passion. See what I did there? That was a good segue. Uh-huh. It was written by Stephen Candell, who also wrote. Uh, did he write Mud's Women and I'm Mud, or did he only write I'm Mud? I believe is he wrote both of them. Is that Stephen J. Cannell? Or, or no, wait, not, no, not that guy. Stephen oh. Candell. Oh, not Candel. Stephen J. Cannell. That wow. would be a, that would probably be a much better <laughs> When he throws a piece of paper and it does a little swirly thing with his name. Yeah, if Cannell had wrote this, the Harry Mud would probably be uh, like a, a slime ball mob boss called Crazy Tommy T. <laughs> And, you know, he'd, he'd have such hard-bitten dialogue as, uh, take this guy out and throw him in a pool. See? See? I didn't even know there was a pool there. You'd probably say that as well. <laughs> but Stephen J. Cannell did not write this episode. Stephen Candell did. And he did indeed write I, Mud, as well as Mud's Women. So he has some familiarity with Mud, as does your average Cocker Spaniel. So... <laughs> Um, oh, we should mention as well, Roger C. Carmel came back for the role of Harry Mudd, although he's not credited, making him, what, is that the third actor from the TV show to come back, not including the regular cast? Is that uh, correct? Because we've yes. had Sarek of Vulcan. Yep, that, they are else? the only three. Oh, and uh, Stanley and, Adams. Uh, yeah. Now, didn't the other two guys get credited? I don't remember to be honest with mm. you. I know they get to a point in the animated series where they just can't be asked changing the credits. So it Roger, may not have even been Al Sutherland who directed it. Roger Carmel was in his 30s when he was on Star Trek. Really? Really? He died in the what? 1980s at 54 years old. I'd have what? said he was 54 he years old when he did Star Trek. Uh-huh. At 54? He was, he was scheduled actually to appear on an episode of TNG to, to oh. I guess reprise the role. 
and uh, and, and he and he passed on, and he was 54 years old. He's wow. he's, a, he's an interesting interesting case study. There was a TV show. I, I would imagine Andy, you'd have no familiarity with this, and Bill and Dave, you might be too young to remember it. Uh, but there was a, a sitcom called The Mothers-in-Law that he was. Yeah, on. vaguely. It went two seasons. It was produced by Desi Lu. Uh, so you know uh, what's his name? Uh, Desi Arnaz was like the executive producer on it, and uh, it was it was you know two families that that. Their do- one's family do- daughter and the other's son got married and they lived next door to each other and you know hijinks ensued and Roger Carmel played the husband of one of the two families and when it got renewed for a second season uh, the ratings were not so high so they you know they said we can do it but nobody gets a raise and everybody else I think actually they may have even uh, imposed a pay cut on people and uh, Roger Carmel was the only one who said I'm not doing that so they they just they recast his role with Richard Deacon uh, and apparently he never got regular work again because he took the uh, hard line on that hmm. I always get it mixed up with Victor Buono from Batman I could see yeah. that I could see that because yeah. they both have that you know the, the you know big guys balding mm. and, and just kind of that affect about them yeah, and both died quite young. Anyway. Yeah, but it's just, it's like, I look at him and think that he's in his 30s, and it's like, you know, my God. <laughs> the difference between 30s in the 1960s and 30s now is, is just phenomenal. But and it's like, sh- you see that in a lot of programs from particularly the 60s and the 70s. I used to watch that, you remember Emergency, the fireman program? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Bah, 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 bah. A guy laying on the street. They come over, we got a victim here. You're looking at him going, oh, geez, this guy's got to be like 70 years old. Male, 48 years old. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that that was the one that everybody uses as an example, it seems, is uh, All in the Family. That Carol O'Connor was in in his 40s when that show went on. Yeah, yeah. My wife pointed that out. She said, oh, yeah, there was just, there there was an episode on, and uh, Archie was having his 50th birthday. I'm like, 50th birthday? Holy crap, when did I become Archie Bunker? And, <laughs> and then my wife said, and look how good you looked. What happened to you? <laughs> <laughs> and then, then the, the one, you know, the movie one that everybody points to is Wilfred Brimley, who was like 50 when they, uh, or not quite 50 when they filmed Cocoon. Oh, yeah, isn't that uh, the one that yeah. they've been saying Paul Rudd is the same age that Wilfred Brimley was when he made Cocoon? Paul Rudd is older than Wilfred Brimley was when he made Cocoon. Climb. And it's from eating a bowl of that crap every morning, grape nuts or whatever that he was talking. The diabetes will uh, ravage you. Wow, he was in a lot of... I was just looking at his uh, stuff on TV and film. He did a lot... Roger uh, Carmel? Yeah, yeah. So we're actually getting back on point. (laughs) Yeah, I guess towards the end of his his career, he was... uh, uh, did a lot of um, voiceovers. You know, he did the Transformers... Um, hmm. he was the prime minister of Japan in the Transformers. <laughs> yeah, he, still, he still that. worked. He still worked, but he apparently was never able to get regular series work. You know, where you know a, a, a recurring role anymore. He would just do guest spots because I guess for that he probably got you know whatever the standard rate was, and just they went on. They didn't have to really negotiate a contract with him. He was on I Spy, and he does have the connection time. with uh, Victor Bono because he was on Batman. Yeah. Yeah. Colonel Gum. Wow. He was in Thunderbolt and oh Thunder and Lightning. I thought it was Thunderbolt and Lightfoot, which is a much better film. Uh, it's oh, Clint yeah, Eastwood, right? It's yeah. Clint Eastwood. Yeah. Clint Eastwood and, and, uh, and uh, Jeff Bridges. Uh, Jeff Bridges, yeah. 
young Jeff Bridges. He was in Transformers the movie as Cyclonus. Yeah. He basically did the tour of 1970s American television shows, didn't he? Oh, yeah. She Man, the Man, McLeod, Millen and Wife, Banachek. So, yeah, basically he just did The Invisible Man, the David McCallum Invisible Man. All right. Hardy Boys, BJ and the Burr. Yeah, so he just went from guest spot to guest spot. Poor guy was in heart to heart, I feel for him. So, there yeah, is... Yeah. There is some controversy over when he did pass away, uh, whether it was a heart attack, and then I always go to my godfather too, that was no heart attack, uh, or, or if he overdosed on something, or if he committed suicide. There's like some controversy there. Mm. Anyway. Well, that's a shame, because uh, I quite like Roger C. Carmel as Harry Mudd. He's very slimy. Wait, he voiced Smokey the Bear? Yes. Huh. Only you, Only you can give me your money. A what? <laughs> Smokey, why do I need to pay you to get in the forest? Oh, we do that now, though. Yeah, <laughs> Imagine that. Mm. Oh, you want to come in the park? Pay up. But, 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 It'll cost but you three picnic baskets. <laughs> the public park, owned by the taxpayers. Well, no, that's that's if you want to reserve like a... Uh, what the hell do they call them? Like a like a shelter. Yeah, you want to have a party, yeah, yeah. But I mean, but I guess there is like a small parking thing to get into some parks. I mean, in my local parks thing? in the county, but like I guess the national parks are, are more, you know. So when you say I, small parking thing, clearly you don't live in the New York area. Oh, what you guys pay to park in uh, your parks? Park. Oh yeah. Well, not not like just a regular park where you, you know you go to play baseball, but if you go to a public. You know, a parkway where you're going to sightsee. Yeah, they'll charge you. Mm. Go to the Bronx Zoo, they charge you. I think well, I can see a zoo because you have the upkeep of the animals. But like, well, they charge you, but park. they charge you to go into the zoo, and they charge you to park at the zoo. Well, I could kind of like you go into a baseball game. Why would you go to a baseball game? Ugh, it's so boring. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> you suck. When they put. When they mine the outfield and they put tiger random tiger traps with bungee sticks in them in the baseline, then I'll watch baseball. So when they turn it into the Hunger Games. Yes. The it's Running Man. Damn it. Yeah. The running Man. I want the Running Man baseball edition. Yeah. Okay. Ooh, Does anyone remember when games. we were talking about Harry Mudd? Well, you, oh, well yeah, wait, not you yeah. for the synopsis, Junior. I thought it was waiting for you to finish talking about baseball. Baseball, Ray. Just like waiting for <laughs> I was, a baseball I was just going to go there. If you oh. read it, people will come. Oh, okay. Well, the plot... That's what you mean. <laughs> Darth Vader wanted me to go to a baseball game. I'm going. Once. The Starship Enterfri- Enterprise. Enterprise. <laughs> I can't read it now. Now, now I'm hungry. Mm. The plot, according to Wikipedia, the Starship Enterprise receives orders to arrest Federation outlaw Harry Mudd because apparently the Starship Enterprise is now a police station in space. Harry Mudd is accused wait, 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 of selling wait, 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 Well, they were the only ship in the quadrant. Of course, they were. But not the only policemen in the quadrant. And he posed such Harry an incredible threat that they had to send the ship together. We had to divert an entire starship just to go and get it. Harry Mudd is accused of selling fake love crystals. Intercepting Mudd on the mining colony of Motherlode, they bring him aboard the Enterprise. Mudd explains that he escaped the custody of the android planet presumably from iMud, by stealing a ship. While on Illyria 5, or is that 6? It's 6, isn't it? Illyria 6. That is 6. Mud committed fraud by selling Starfleet Space Academy to its... In- 
Sorry, I read that wrong. Mud committed fraud by selling Starfleet Space Academy to its inhabitants. I originally thought they'd written it wrong, but he didn't. He sold the entire academy, which amused me. His sale earned him enough credits to get into Sirius 9. Motherload. After convincing Nurse Chapel to use Love Crystal to win the affection of the Vulcan science officer, Mr. Spock, Mud abducts her, steals a shuttlecraft, and escapes to a rocky planet. It's Apollo Creed, though. During the battle... That sounded like Yogi Burr. <laughs> During the battle between Mud and Chapel, some of his love crystals are broken near an event. The love crystal affects Spock, making him insist on pursuing Mud to the planet, accompanied by Captain Kirk. This synopsis is shit. The broken love crystals affect the entire crew of the Enterprise. As Mud told them, the love crystals are heterosexual in nature. He did not use that word or terminology. But at he did all. describe it, and, and he pretty much said that. If it's yeah. two men, they'll be good friends. If it's a man and a woman, friends. they'll be love. Oh. You couldn't, couldn't take a chance back then. Oh, no. Inducing feelings of love in those of the opposite sex and friendship in those of the same sex. Kirk and Spock find Chapel and Mud, but the four of them are attacked by creatures made of rock which inhabit the planet. It's the end of Star Trek V. Moreover, a new phase of the Love Crystal's influence causes them to bicker with each other, whilst the ship's crews are too intoxicated by the Love Crystals to beam them back up. To buy time, Kirk throws the remaining Love Crystals at the rock creatures. The four are beamed back to the Enterprise, where Spock notes that the Love Crystal's short duration and after-effect of enmity make them of little value, and Chapel records a confession of Mud's misdeeds since the escape from the android planet so they can be returned to rehabilitation. The end. Obviously, they rehabilitate him very well. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yes. My, I, I just have to say before I forget about it, when they look to get transported up and they cut to the Enterprise and, and, and McCoy's dead dancing, I, I really felt like I was watching uh, what's, what's the Adult Swim show? Uh, Robot Chicken? Robot Chicken. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just started cracking up laughing when they showed us dancing in the, in the transporter room. And why they're looking for McCoy to beam them up, I still don't understand anyway. McCoy was the best character in this whole episode. Yeah, he was. I, I thought this one was mostly quite funny. It doesn't yeah. skirt around the fact that Harry Mudd is a scumbag and has always been a scumbag. He's not a light, fluffy comedy villain. villain villain like um stanley adams is in the trouble with tribbles harry mudd's a scumball oh yeah and he has been since we first met him and the animated episode to its credit does not forget that he's a complete and utter scumball because lest we forget the entire plot to this episode revolves around him selling rohypnol yeah but he you know he's he's got no problem with human trafficking and stuff nope. like that nope. uh, and, and that's what i mean that's why i'm fine with it because harry mudd has always been a scumbag yeah, you know, but he's he's yeah, he's not just like you say a light-hearted. Oh, look at me! I'm doing things. I'm I'm a roguish guy. He's he's out and out. Just they they really you know it's one thing they really did get get on in Discovery and did right in that first season of Discovery. The Harry Mudd episode is possibly the best one mm. when when he's just you know there and torturing. He, he's he's totally you know just a badass character in that. Uh, so I mean, it's very different than the portrayal we get from Roger C. Carmel, because, and and I think that may be part of the problem with it is he plays him as if he's just a roguish. Oh, look at me, Captain Kirk! Like he could easily have been uh, the Trouble with Tribbles guy, the way he plays the character, but the way yeah. written, the way he's written well, is right. you know there's there's a darker layer to it than that. 
I think, unfortunately, the animation, we before the show, we joked about how he looks like an overweight chipmunk in the animation, and I think his uh, when he actually portrayed the character, you could see more of his sliminess and his, villa- his villainy in the live-action portrayal versus... You know, because it's it's limited with their animation. You know, animation today, you might get more of a more villainous aspect to his character, but he was more... You're right, he seemed more like... Um, um, uh, the Trouble with Trouble guys. Yeah, yeah. Stanley Adams, I can't remember. Cyrano Jones, yes. Cyrano Jones. Jones, yes. Yes. So... Uh, and you got to remember, this is a Saturday morning cartoon, too. You can only right, go so right. dark with it. And even if you extrapolate from that in the 1960s you could only go so far with his level of villainy too I, I think a lot of it is in the subtext and you don't realize you know they don't come out and hit you over the head with just how bad of a guy he is but if you look closely enough at, at it you see that he is and again you know human trafficking and things like that you know it, it, this this thing that he's selling even if it worked correctly it's one thing to sell something where you say, oh, you know, if you really care about somebody, this is going to get them to express their true feelings or whatever. No, it's if they don't love you, this is going to make them love you. <laughs> you know, that's, that's no good. Can't do that. He's a bad, bad man. Well, one thing yeah, I wished him into the cornfields. Overlooks is, is that when he's trying to trick the miners uh, with on on the planet, that's not even a woman he's got next to him. It's like a it's I mean, it was a reptile thing. It was like some type of like furry reptile that was yeah, you know it's hip, a, a, hypnotizing a Rebellion mutoid or something, Spock Carl, yeah, doesn't he? <laughs> and and you know they Spock pulls out a phaser and blasts it. I was Oh my god, he's gonna get Oh, okay, he just <laughs> But if you take this episode you know, if you really take it on the surface level and don't dig too deep into, you know, the moral implications, which I guess we'll get more into. But, I mean, that's funny. He shoots it and all of a sudden it becomes like this yeah. this reptile oh, no. that slinks there away. Wasn't a, there wasn't a moral thing to it. I just did not remember that happening at all. And I was like, oh, my God. Oh, okay. He's just kind of stunning it to show him. And then, then they cut like a giant swath. I didn't know phasers could cut like that. You know, that was a pretty big, uh, like, ditch or whatever they they cut with a hand phaser in the ground. Well, phasers can you know, do whatever you need them to do. If of course, yeah. And the miners apparently have the worst aim when throwing rocks out of anybody. <laughs> and like, and that felt like Monty voice. Python in the Life of Brian. I expected, <laughs> I expected to come up with a giant rock and put it on him at the end. And uh, Michelle Nichols and um, James Dewan, of course, voice. You know, I would see. I didn't even realize that was a female. <laughs> it's like again, Monty Python with the, with the crowd seat. And I, I did. I did like the character model for those like ape creatures that were on the mining planet. Though. Yeah, they I thought them that was Ur- cool looking. Ursoids, I think, is what they called them. Uh, it was over on Memory of uh, Ursoids, uh, Ursinoid bears, Ursa, perhaps. I yeah, looked that. that- that makes as sense. long as they didn't have guns and were on horseback, they were all right. Could, yeah, I guess you could say they were bear-like. With yeah, the, they were, they were kind of. They just didn't make them like, they didn't just give them a whole bear head. <clears throat> they they, they kind of did a half, yeah, I could see that. We were like, yeah, a bear that had large fangs. And bear-like human, humanoids that had large fangs and were completely covered in fur. And that's uh, all they have to say about them. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, they didn't really give you much of a background on them or anything, yeah. so you know you have to work with that. But they 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 were still cool looking. I thought that was one of the better alien looks that they've presented to us in the animated series. Mm-hmm. I agree. And then so then we we get into the you know the Bill Cosby nature of this drug that he's selling. Put it pop and to take the love crystal and you touch the person that you wouldn't have. You know. And I, you know, I don't, I don't know too much about such things. But is this the, is this, would this be a similar thing to, what is the the date rape drug, date rape drug, ecstasy? No, right, no. So I mean, I mean, that's effectively what it is. It, you know, makes you temporarily fall in love with the person, and then you're yes. not, and then you're not. No, I don't think it makes you temporarily fall in love with a person. I think it knocks your ass out, and somebody rapes you. Well, I'm talking about on the cartoon, not on. Oh, oh sorry, sorry. <laughs> I've watched, I'm back to the cartoon. Sorry. I've watched plenty of Law and Order. Bang bang. So, yeah. I mean, it, it's even if it was long term, like I said, it's still not not something you should. You're you know, it's a mind altering drug. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's essentially what they're dealing with. But because they're talking about it on a '70s cartoon show, it's implied to be very chaste. And there's not going to be actual any sex going to be happening on camera. But when you start even thinking about it even remotely, it doesn't really hold up terribly well today at all. So, so you, you, yeah. you got to question Nurse, Nurse Chapel there because she's willing to use this. Yes, Nurse Chapel comes across in this episode as horrible. And I don't know how much of that is down to the implication that the drug is in some way affecting her as well. Or that she's just very, very badly written. And there's the idea that I don't, it seems it is a very 70s thing and we have to judge it in context of the time that it was made. But there, is, there was a certain level of acceptability around that kind of humour in the 70s that just frankly would not be acceptable today. Well, hey. But I do, I do wonder how a female showrunner and the actress in question didn't at least raise an eyebrow at the way Nurse Chapel is depicted in this episode it's not that harry's selling this drug as we've mentioned he's a scumbag i fully expect expect him to sell something like this it's that chapel uses it willingly and i can't help but think maybe if they'd have implied that there was some element of the drug affecting her mind as well that may have been a little bit only a little bit more acceptable than what we actually get well you know what andy you can only have a bowl of Plomex soup thrown at you so many times before you're <laughs> going to take desperate measures. Well, it's hard to make Plumex soup, as you well know. First, you've got to find a Plumex. Yeah. And then you've got to strangle it and available. rip its head off. Oh, wait, that's a chicken. When, yeah. when did these date rape drugs become a thing? Was it the 80s? The 90s? I think, it, I think it was into the 80s, wasn't it? It was a fad I missed me, out on. I'm sorry. Let me, let me just back up. I think probably since time immoral, uh, probably for centuries, there's always been something that somebody's used somewhere to get somebody knackered so somebody could take advantage of them. I don't think this, they used is, to, this just suddenly appeared in the 60s and 70s. I'm sure I could do a deep dive and go find, you know, things in the past that have always, you know, knocked people out-ish. I was yeah, but without alcohol, with my cool, you, you, cool, have to, uh, you have to get the drunk over a period of time with, with alcohol, which can have the same effect. Well, I like to go with the cool gangster talk and just call it slipping somebody a mickey. Yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> 
But it's Cause right to me this kids. this seems more akin to you know a, on a kid level of you find the genie oh make her fall in love with me mm. yeah it's a magical drug genie mm. that gets in the air vent and hilarity ensues hilarity ensues that's exactly what, things- what I had in my notes. <laughs> one of the well, the, one of the things I had was is uh, I'm not into shipping. I understand that it is a thing. I understand that it has a big fan base. If you, that's what you're into, more power to you. I've never yeah, particularly yeah, got into yeah, it. Yeah, you put stuff in a box, you put tape on it, and you. Yeah, that, that's that's yeah. exactly what I meant. Shipping. Um, the Kirk Spock shippers must have had a field day with this episode because I don't know if it's the way it's scripted or the way Shatner plays it. But he definitely comes across as the spurned lover at the end when Spock's all over Nurse Chapel. And I like watching it going, do you know, for the first time, I think I understand where shipping comes from. <laughs> My good, good friend, Mr. Spock. Yeah, well, he's, he actually comes across as jealous at the end. When they stumble on the planet, oh, I've got you. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, and it's it's one of those things that they'll they'll always point to things or glimpses or scenes, and that's how they build their ships, just on moments that possibly weren't even intended. But this one, you're watching it now, going, okay, all right, I actually see where you're coming from. Well, I'm gonna t- take a turn with that and go back to the good old good old days and clean it up. With I would say that's. It's more akin to, you know, when you're really a young kid and one guy in the group gets a girlfriend. It's like, oh, what, you're not going to hang with your friends anymore? Uh, yeah. I mean, that's something like out of the little rascals, even. Yeah. Everybody's after the He-Man Woman Haters Club. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I got to bring it back to a simpler time. (sighs) But, you know, I I think, you know, just to... (laughs) <laughs> trying to look at it more seriously I think that uh, it was kind of a, a, a cheap lazy thing to go back to uh, Nurse Chapel and, and her unrequited love of Mr. Spock that kind of was past you know they got past that on the show so well, to, bring, I mean, they, to bring us back to that was kind of they unnecessary they could have used like some other crew person but that same crew person would would, would have been voiced by Marshall Barrett anyway so well otherwise yeah he wouldn't have gotten the uh the payment for his wife, so yeah, I'm sure and Gene, Gene would have made sure for, she did the voice. And it was funny for Spock to be affected, and then for him to, on the bridge, start talking about having feelings for Nurse Chapel, and he loves her, and then all I heard was Andy going, what? What? <laughs> when 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 Kirk and McCoy both go, what? What? Or I was actually seeing David Tennant, too. What? Could what? Kirk have rolled his eyes and said, are we doing this again? I mean, you know, it was so much, it was, you know, really, dude, Jill Ireland was so much prettier than Nurse Chapel. Well, you've also got, are we doing this again? Like, didn't we do this in the Naked Now? Yeah. Where everyone's on the ship, just, I I mean, one of the things that I did find funny was Dr. Mackay, Dave mentioned earlier, Dr. Mackay's MVP. And I love him just chatting up that young lieutenant with, I've saved everybody on this ship at one time or another. You want me to examine you? And you're like, Jesus, man. <laughs> but it is funny. It, it is genuinely amusing how they all just start flirting with each other. Because you've got Mares eyeing up Scotty. You've got Mares going to Scotty and going, you know, you're not, you're not bad. Meow. For a human. <laughs> and I'm like, what the hell am I watching? But the way McCoy is rattling off every name. Yeah, yeah. I saved the captain. I saved Well, you know what? 
Now, 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 now we know where furries come from. Yeah. Because <laughs> you, you just know that after a bottle of scotch, Scotty's like, aye, why not? Wait, well, I was about to sp- thank God I have a filter because I was about to say, Scotty, you know, has got a, the bottle of scotch and go, I, I like a cat. <laughs> there's, 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 there's lots of fun to be had in this one and it is quite funny in places I do think it loses some nuance from the actors because it does repeat a gag again like Tribbles did where you've got that bit in I'm Mud where Harry Mud's giving a running commentary on what's going on and Kirk's behind him saying what really happened so I mm-hmm. borrowed a starship he stole one and they, they kind of repeat that gag here but it's not quite Kirk, the success Fred Kirk wrong one but it's like, it's it's nice to have Roger C. Carmel back, though. It does make a big difference having the actor back. Mm-hmm. And overall, you know, if you if you kind of go, all right, this was made in 1974, we have to give it, we have to cut it some slack for the time in which it was made. It was not made for a 2021 audience. It doesn't have the ramifications that it has for a 2021 audience. Some of this is genuinely funny. Just it's the stuff that doesn't concern Rose Chapel, And unfortunately, she's the central character. So, I noticed nobody else has said this, so maybe I'm just reading something into it. Did anybody else think the first time the quote-unquote rock creature appeared, it looked like a penis? No, no I can honestly say that. I did not. The old <laughs> one-eyed the old one-eyed Willy? It did not like, occur to me. I was like, did they put that in there on purpose? But then suddenly it had three eyes, so it was okay. But it's just, I was like, wait a minute. Hmm. Mm. A bit dubious there. No, I didn't notice that because I was a little bit bored by the end of that same shot of Captain Kurt running towards the camera. Mm. And how desperate you have to be that you hand mud a gun. Yeah. <laughs> now, uh, I'm sorry, but when they drugged the creatures by throwing those few capsules at them, wouldn't you need a love drug the size of a Volkswagen for it to have an effect? Apparently, it's very potent. Well, you know, there was only a handful of crystals were broken and affected the entire ship's crew, so... Because they fell into the air vents, didn't they? Yeah, so, I mean... Yeah. So what about what about the aftermath after the drug wears <laughs> off? It's like, not not only do you go back to the way you were, but you have a level of, like, animosity towards the person. Right, it's like marriage. You go from, from love and after what? The honeymoon is over. The honeymoon is over. Clearly. I say that in jest, of course. Right. <laughs> so, we have anything else on this? I liked how he sold Starfleet Academy instead of the Brooklyn Bridge. Yeah, that was quite a funny line. It's nice to know the Enterprise has a photo booth in case you want to take a few <laughs> snapshots. <laughs> uh, and, and you can quickly alter an ID that way. Yeah, right. Talk about Starfleet security. You know, I, hope I the wonder shuttle if, was insured. I wonder if that's where a future generations of people figured out how to make fake IDs. Yeah, you know, when I watched easy, Star Trek as a kid, you know, I could do that. <sighs> it was remarkably easy of him to fake a Starfleet uh, ID as well. So, so do, do you know why I pulled you over, um, Nurse Chapel? <laughs> says here your five foot ten blonde hair uh, and a woman can you step out of the shuttlecraft sir uh, ma'am 
<laughs> they. They. <laughs> See, maybe yeah, it was that, that maybe all be just wants it by then. Maybe that's just perfectly acceptable by then. They've got all that on those IDs. Yeah, it was. Know. It was very progressive. Now that you mentioned See, it, yeah. this this is the this this episode is the center cruxstone of change in our society. It it started so much. Oh no, the dog's barking because my wife just left. He's going in the wine. Ahead of the curve again. And we run out of things to say about it then. Yeah, I'm, I think so. I mean, you could argue that it is talking like what Dave is talking about. You could argue it's talking about love and the general full bloom of love. And I, when you first fall in love with somebody, it's all encompassing and you can't think of anything else. And then it was off as time goes on and you end up fighting with each other a lot. So you could say there's a subtext to it, I guess. I just I just p- pictured Angela's hand coming out of the ether and smacking you right in the back of the head as you say that. Cool. Why'd you say that? Same as normal. Right, I think we've I think we've hit the point of ratings, Sir Andrew. Um, I, I yeah, I, I think it's a I think it's a two and a half. I mean, for all my problems with the basic thrust of the story, my my only real issue is the handling of Christine Chapel. I totally believe Harry Mudd would sell a date date drug. Um, and there are bits of it that are genuinely amusing. And the whole point of a Harry Mudd episode is often to be amusing. So it succeeded. So I'm going to go solid two and a half. Uh, I think I'm going to... I, I got a few good chuckles and laughs out of it. Yeah, Nurse Triple... Uh, triple? Nurse Tribble? Yeah. Nurse Chapel is written a bit... Uh, mm. uh, but I think I'm going to give it three uh, one-eyed willy rock monsters out of five i'm kind of back and forth on it because i think the topic is poorly handled if you want to look at it seriously but i also thought that it was very entertaining as i watched it i laughed out loud several times i don't know that it was always meant to to invoke my laughter but it got it just the same and i i enjoyed it so i'm going with the 2.5 um I did like some of the throat callbacks to the original episodes. I got a kick out of the uh, Kirk translation of Harry's details. For me, the breakout character was McCoy. I found him to be hysterical. So I gave it a 2.5. Okay. That is what we thought. But does anybody know what Blaine says? This is the stuff, and what did the Blaine say? And I think I had a little too much love crystals. Incoming transmission. Hi, guys. Previously, I spoke about how I appreciated Discovery for validating the animated series. Now it's time to focus on one of the negative aspects of Discovery, the interpretation of Harcourt Fenton Mud. This episode brings us the mud I remember from the original series, still played by Roger C. Carmel. Had he not passed away, he'd have reprised the role on Star Trek The Next Generation as well. He's still a con man, working outside Federation jurisdiction, but always willing to follow the path of least resistance by turning himself in to avoid the wrath of his clients. The episode handles him well. In fact, it handles Mud better than Chapel, who can be easily talked into using a type of date-rape drug on Spock. I think it would have been better had she agreed to take the crystals for actual study, and all exposures were the result of the accident, rather than have her use them intentionally. Still, this is Mud. He took Chapel prisoner, while a Mud of Discovery wouldn't hesitate to kill her. This Mud is no killer. Sure, he's that kind of scumbag that would sneak into a retirement home to steal the social security checks, 
and try to convince every senile resident that he was their child and it was his birthday just to see what they'd voluntarily hand over to him as a gift. He's the kind that would sell poison without a label under the pretense of let the buyer beware. He is not, though, an extraordinarily capable criminal mastermind and killer. Discovery came up with a good character, but it isn't this mud. I'd have been happier if their mud was Harcourt Fenton's brother or some other relation, because they just are simply not one and the same. Anyway, enough about Discovery. This episode was another with a nice callback to the original series, but the sexism in the writing of Nurse Chapel just turns me off of it for the most part. So it's not bad, but it's not particularly good either. I think he kind of agrees with us on pretty much what we said about the episode. Yeah. So I do, you know, I, I definitely would prefer the aspect of, of Nurse Chapel's, uh, you know, her uh, ultimate using this drug. I would prefer it if it had been an accident because I do think it betrays the character. So, and there we are. <laughs> So I guess that's it for this episode. And uh, what are we doing next time? Next time, our all new episode of Toon Track. It's another 70s stable, the Bermuda Triangle. Well, the Delta Triangle, but it's the same thing as the Enterprise ends up stuck in a time trap. Hmm. That'll be fun. Well, oh, hmm. Okay. So they're, co- so they're going to be caught in a trap. Oh, no way check out. it out. Just. <laughs> I get because I watched the next e- e- episode on uh, the Paramount thing, and it was not the time trap. It was the Terraton incident. What is that? But I mean, if that's the, uh, I mean, that's just the way. It, yeah. It, well, w- gotta, Wikipedia's got the time trap. We yeah. are going with Wikipedia because that is the source of all knowledge. <laughs> I didn't. Well, no, 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 no. I, I mean, yeah, we can go with the time trap, but I mean, I've got the DVD. I mean, I didn't look to see what the one after the Terraton incident was, so. Uh, it's just odd because it rolled. I just just let it roll right into the next one just to get caught up a little bit, you know, to, to get ahead. And it did. Unless I accidentally bumped it past it, I'll have to go back and look. Hmm. Well, next time we, we'll do the the time trap anyway. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, you're right. On Netflix, the next one is the Terraton incident, and yeah. then it's time trap. Huh. Odd. Okay. So, so swap them around if you want. I'll just do another next time. No, no, no. Now we can do the time trap. Okay. All right. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye. Love shack, baby. Love shack. Hey, roof. Roast it. Toon Trek is based upon Star Trek, created by Gene Roddenberry, and is a two-two freaks. Presentation. It's hosted by Andrew Leyland, Paul Spataro, Dave Pascarella, Bill Robinson, and produced and guest hosted on occasion by J. David Wheaton. All music and clips are copyright the respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This is a review show, and as such, protected under fair use. Yeah, let's go with that. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Toon Trek. So suddenly when COVID hit, there was this, out of nowhere, there was this... Uh, Duck Henning. Chitin. Poof. There he was. 